Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Reverend Don Lewis coming to you from Witchschool.com. Are you looking for the best in pagan and magical education? With more than 12,000 pages, Witchschool.com is like having your own personal library with individual learning assistance to help you study. And Witchschool's Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere education system is available any place on earth. Anywhere you are and anytime you want it, as long as you have an internet connection. Witchwell's lifetime memberships are a great value. They really do last a lifetime. They've been there for years and they'll be there for years to come. So get your membership today at witchwell.com. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good middle of the night, good sack of breakfast. Whenever you are, wherever you are, this is Laura Gonzalez. Welcome you to Lunatic Mondays. And I'm very happy to see uh, people that I know who are in the chat room. This is so fantastic. There is V and there is Darren, and I'm waiting for more people to join us in the chat room tonight. Tonight, I'm very excited. We have a guest whom I've been chasing for a long, long time. <laughs> and she finally said yes, and I'm very, very excited. Well, she said yes before, but the times we had to reschedule and all that, she's a very, very busy person. But here we are. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Susan Harper, in case you don't know her. About Susan, Susan Harper, PhD, is an educator, activist, advocate, and ritual specialist. She holds a PhD in cultural anthropology from Southern Methodist University, where she studied paganism in the U.S. South. She also holds a graduate certificate in women's studies from Texas Women's University. Susan has over two decades worth of experience with feminist spirituality, Wicca, and other forms of neo-paganism, energetic healing modalities, tarot, ecstatic movement, and other transformative practices. She leads labyrinth walks, women's circles, and rituals in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Susan is passionate about making spirituality accessible, practical, and personal. Her workshops focus on using spiritual information and techniques to facilitate transformation in our personal lives. She seeks to help people equip themselves with skills and tools that will aid their continuous growth. We are very happy, very proud, and very nervous to welcome Dr. <laughs> Susan Harper. How are you, Dr. Susan? I'm good. How are you, Laura? I am very good. I'm very nervous. <laughs> oh, no. But, you know, I this is something. I, I, I know you won't bite me, and if you do, I'll bite you back. <laughs> <laughs> all, all in good faith. <laughs> All in good faith. Uh, I'm very happy to have you on the show. I uh, admire you a great deal because I think you are one of the people that best represents um, goddess activism and and paganism or faith in these modern times that need it so much. And I'm very happy to have you. Very happy to have you here. So first of all, how are you? How was your weekend? How you been doing? Well, uh, like a lot of us, last week was kind of a rough week, (laughs) 
but we're kind of coming out the other side now. I had a really powerful full moon circle with a wonderful group of people on Saturday, which really helped us kind of move from despair about the election into action and what are we going to do for our communities to keep them safe and keep them whole and what are we going to do in the face of this extraordinary time and this extraordinary move by our country what what do we do to keep in pursuit of justice to make sure that our voices are heard that we don't just roll over in the face of authoritarianism and fear so it was a you know, I feel like I've been through the five stages of grief, and I've now, I don't know that I'm ever going to get to acceptance, but I feel like I'm at action, so it was lovely, and I got to do a photo shoot yesterday where they transformed me into a warrior goddess, so that certainly helps. I saw that post, and I was uh, stoked to see it, because of course you look fantastic, and but we can see what is coming through those eyes, and I was like, yes! <laughs> We uh, was, we need to go ahead. Say what was funny is I didn't even like tell the makeup artist that that's what my vision was. I just sat in the chair, and she mm-hmm. just did that. Like I, I must and, have been running some energy from the ritual the night before. So yeah, totally. It it you know I think a lot of us are still in disbelief and, and acceptance will eventually come. I guess. <laughs> I enter into immediate panic, followed by immediate, hell no, I'm not going to panic, <laughs> you know, I'm a witch. Right. And, and I was, um, a funny thing, if I, if I may share this anecdote, uh, immediately yeah. after they announced the, the results, I enter into panic because the words that defined me, uh, female, Mexican or Latina, uh, queer and witch. And I'm like, wait a minute, those very words empower me. So no, <laughs> I'm not going to be afraid. Right? Nothing. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, if, if anybody wants to take me out of this country, it's going to be with the feet in front. So it's not going to happen. Um, and yeah, but um, I also found that um, going into action first and when everybody is complete again and put together then I can break so yes yeah let's let's help the community by by taking action first absolutely and you know I I definitely went into panic on Tuesday night but I also know and that I occupy a a place of immense privilege in all this that you know I'm a queer woman and I'm a witch but I'm also a white cisgender traditionally university educated woman so like I'm not who they're coming for first (laughs) you know there are people that I love that are way higher up on the list of of the people that people like Donald Trump are going to come for and uh, I can't afford to kind of wallow in my pity when there are people that are in much more actual danger just living on this you know living their lives and walking down the street so that has helped me keep some perspective. <laughs> you know, speaking I'm, I'm of, certainly but uh, speaking of which I I was gonna ask a question because with all that's been happening on the last week, um when I saw that thing for the safety pin 
the people that were mm-hmm. putting the safety pin on their lapel or, or their shirts or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, my, my immediate first reaction was, oh, my God, that is so cool. That is so nice to know yes. that, that being in the minority, uh, there will be people. I mean, I will be walking around with a safety pin, you know, uh, and I'm one right. of the minorities. But, but then I heard so much backlash on it. Uh, mm-hmm. will you, would you like to share your opinion on that? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I have gone around about it a little bit. Um, of course, I, I know it's so easy, especially for um, white folks who are, who are, you know, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, they don't have any sort of marginalized identity to just kind of adopt a symbol, you know, like the safety pin, like the AIDS ribbon um, that they, you know, go down to the gap and buy. And they just sort of adopt the symbol and don't do the work. Um, so I see that critique of it. Um, but I also see that from a member of a marginalized community, especially somebody who is visibly a member of the marginalized community, so a, a person of color, um, a woman who wears a hijab, to put that symbol on is very powerful. Um, so my feelings go around about it. I think the biggest thing is if you're going to put the safety pin on, you have to know that that means that people might come to you. And if you're not prepared to do what needs to be done when somebody comes to you for safety, then you shouldn't put it on. But if you are doing the work and you know what that entails and you know that if somebody comes to you and says, um, you know, I'm a Muslim woman and I just got bashed on the street and you know where to send her or what, what resources to give her, then, you, you know, you are an ally. It's, it's, it's something that I'm really curious to see how it plays out, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it becomes a thing where you can just go into Urban Outfitters and buy a, a safety pin and then you feel like you did your part or mm-hmm. if it will actually be a, root, a grassroots kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, my take on that was if I see you wearing a safety pin but I hear you crack a joke about where are the tackle trucks then I'm going to call you on it <laughs> you know yes Absolutely. That's, that's the other thing yeah yeah because it's, it's uh, it, it is uh, hey P. Janet who is in the chat I don't know if you're uh, following the chat room or not uh, oh no she I says she says that is a beautiful idea. It is a beautiful idea, but there is so much subtle racism that we receive. And one of the things that I was very surprised is on how many people were so surprised to see how uh, racism is still very much alive and well in this country. And they yes. were so surprised about it. And I'm like, but we, the Latinos and the people of color and the minorities have been telling you for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just haven't been listening. I mean, exactly. the whole Black Lives Matter, what do you think that is all about? It's about right? racism. So right? hopefully, I, I have to believe, uh, Dr. Susan, I have to believe that this this is the tipping point, that this is, that something good has to come out of having this character in office and if anything, it will be that people will finally start listening to us and 
and acknowledge that we are not making things up just because we victimize ourselves. Absolutely. I think, you know, that could be the thing that comes out of it. Cause that was my reaction too. like, I was surprised that, uh, Trump won simply because I thought that Clinton had such a strong ground game. I was not surprised that people voted for him in their numbers. Um, and that was exactly what, what uh, the conversation we had at my house. It's like, you know, people have been telling you this for years. You know, people of color have been saying, you know, racism did not die. Women have been saying, you know, sexual violence is a thing, you know, and we just didn't want to, to face up to it and now we have to or at least I hope that mm-hmm. we have to <laughs> you know it's well, so easy I'm already seeing in, in liberal circles people wanting to sort of deny it and and not want to talk about why is it that 50, 53% of uh, white women voted for Donald Trump you know wow. <laughs> they're like oh no it's not about race and, oh. oh yes and it we, is totally it so is we still have to have that conversation um, mm-hmm. And I I don't know why. Well, I mean I do know why we don't want to because it makes us examine our privilege and it's uncomfortable and doesn't feel good. But that's not a reason not to do it. And and I can promise you that the the Mexican people and the Hispanic or Latino community whom voted for him did it because they're very conservative when it comes down to religion. And yes. that is another cancer that needs to be eradicated, in my opinion. But enough about this politics, if we could. <laughs> but when we were talking this afternoon, I, I was telling you, you know, I will not like to focus or chat of tonight on that. But it's so hard to separate goddess uh, movement and spirituality from activism and feminism. And, and, and from politics, so here we are. <laughs> but today is the Susan Harper show, so let's focus on <laughs> focus on Susan Harper. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is, how did you find Goddess, or how did she find you? Uh, it's actually, I was just telling this story this weekend. It's a great story. Um, I had found kind of eclectic Wicca in my late teens, when I came to college, I'd, I'd been reading about it a little bit before I came to college, but I didn't meet my first like, real life other pagans until I came to college up here in North Texas. And then it, in North Texas, once you find one pagan, you find them all pretty much. They're all, we, we're all pretty connected, or at least we were in the early 90s. And so I'd been kind of practicing with some friends for a couple of years. Well, not even a, not even a couple of years, but about a year. And the desk clerk at my dorm asked if we wanted to come and celebrate spring equinox with her and her group. So my friend said, and I said, sure, let's go. And so we went and we arrived in this little house on this little side street here up here in Denton, Texas, and went in. And I remember looking around going, there aren't any men in this room, which was unusual in my pagan experience and okay um and we got in and we did circle and they cast circle and they called the directions and they called the goddess and my friend and i kind of waited for them to call the god and they didn't 
and she and I looked at each other and and like there was just this silence between us like you can do that like that's a thing wow and the ritual itself you know well it was you know based around the equinox story and the Demeter and Persephone story was super political about women's rights and women's reproductive autonomy and it was just like the lights went on I had never thought really about how you would bring politics into religion in a positive way. You know, I had done some reading about talking about goddess instead of God as a way to kind of claim women's power, but this blew my mind. And I, I was just sold. And I, I sat at that table at this wonderful vegetarian potluck and asked questions and left with the reading list and thus began the rest of my life. And uh, so this was when you were in school. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, doing my undergraduate degree at uh, University of North Texas. So I was like 19 or 20 years old and had moved down here from a little small town in South Dakota in the early 90s. So it wasn't like there was mm-hmm. a lot of stuff about goddess worship in my hometown library. <laughs> but yeah, I, I believe so. This, there was just such a great community here. And there's actually a, a a very still a very thriving sort of goddess religion community here, so it was really lovely to find that at such a formative time in my life when I was kind of working out my feminist politics and figuring out more about who I was as a person and you know to to walk into community like that um, was just really fortuitous um, I don't know I, I probably would have found. God's religion eventually, but I'm really grateful that I accepted the invitation to that circle. Mm -hmm. So you've been practicing um, only God's spirituality, or were you also into Wicca or other forms of paganism? Yeah, I've practiced uh, kind of eclectic, kind of Scott Cunningham flavored Wicca, uh, and I still dip in and out of that with the larger pagan community here uh when i practice like for the sabbath sometimes i'll practice with friends and kind of a mixed gender group but i really prefer in my own practice and in the rituals and workshops i put on out in the community it's all goddess centered um and tends to be well it is my stuff is still mixed gender because i have all kinds of women and, and feminine identified folks. Um, but it tends to be all people that kind of run, uh, you know, think of themselves as women or think of themselves as, 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 as that are non-binary people, but who identify with uh, women's only spaces. Um, and that's just kind of where I like to do my work. Um, but like I, I tell people, if I go to an open ritual and somebody invokes the God. I'm not going to start screaming about the patriarchy. It's all good. But uh, the more I got into goddess spirituality, the more it became clear to me that I couldn't be in a spirituality that was not politicized. And Wicca and other forms of kind of eclectic paganism, at least here in North Texas, are very, very much not political. Um, they're you know, People really just don't like to mix politics and 
and religion, uh, or at least don't like to acknowledge that they do. And that's just, um, does not work for me. I, I need to have that justice component when mm-hmm. I am spending time with goddess. And that is the tip of the iceberg of something yeah. that, and I'm, ru- I'm rubbing my hands here a la uh, bad witch style. Because <laughs> this is just the tip of the iceberg of something that happened a few months ago. Yeah. Can you explain to us what TERF means? Yes. Uh, TERF or TERF stands for Trans Exclusive Radical Feminist. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a particular kind of, um, we're talking about radical feminists with a, with a capital R. So not like when people say, wow, you're so radical, you're so political, but radical feminism with a capital R and a capital F is a particular kind of feminism that, it, I mean, I could talk about it for like two hours, but essentially comes down to this idea that um, gender is really fundamental to who we are and um, that it's, it's radical it uh, means roots. So gender is at the root of all oppression and uh, all sort of inequality. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty down with that. Where the trans exclusive part comes in is there is a strain of radical feminism that says that uh, trans people and particularly trans women um, aren't really women, that they don't belong in women's only spaces, that um, a lot of TERFs will go as far as to say that trans women aren't really women. They're just men pretending to be women. Um, And if you have the stomach for it, you can Google and and read a lot of this literature. It's really, really terrible. Um, It reads a lot like uh, some of the most fringy right-wing Christian stuff I've ever read. And mm-hmm. a lot of the goddess movement it, it was really informed by radical feminism uh, in the 60s and the 70s. And so there is a, a portion of our community that subscribes to trans-exclusive radical feminism and so doesn't want trans women uh, to be in women's rituals, doesn't want trans women to be in at women's festivals um, they talk about what they use this phrase women born women by which they mean somebody who's born with a uterus and to them anybody who's not that isn't really a woman um, mm-hmm. I do not agree with this <laughs> of course not I am, no I'm just like no way um, that you know my spaces are that you know every woman should come that you know, goddess spirituality is, is one path to liberation. And if any of my sisters aren't liberated, then none of us are. Uh, but it is a very contentious discussion in our community. It's super ugly. And unfortunately, some of the people that are foundational, that are our elders, subscribe very strongly to mm-hmm. trans exclusive rhetoric. So when you talk about goddess spirituality and and because i'm what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to define each term yeah so i would like to know what those goddess spirituality actually means to susan harper oh it's interesting it's 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 changed a lot over the the 20 odd years i've been practicing um to me it is a 
spiritual system of uh, theology that puts a feminine or, a, to borrow a phrase from Lusara Allen, a feminal divine at the center that acknowledges um, the divinity in women, in, the, in nature, that challenges and disrupts patriarchal language about God. Um, I really uh, subscribe to something Mary Daly said, where she said, if God is male, then male becomes God. And I think that it's very easy when we tell half of humanity that God doesn't look like them, it's very easy to then to treat them very poorly. <laughs> so I, I think it's mm-hmm. important for, for women to really step in to the idea that we are reflections of God too. Um, it is a form of spirituality that is inherently political and bound up with ideas of liberation and justice. And for me, at least, that means practicing in an earth-based system, um, in kind of a pagan system. Although I do know people that practice a god of spirituality that meets all my other criteria, but they don't sort of do the circles in the woods bit. But that environmental consciousness and and feminist consciousness to me are are very tied up because the way that we sort of in Western culture, associate women with nature, and then we systematically devalue nature and devalue women, I think really goes together. That's one of, one of the few ideas from radical feminism that I'm on board with <laughs> is that we, we have to look at what happens. What happens to the earth happens to women. What happens to women happens to the earth. And so we have to do put both of those things at the center mm-hmm. of our magic. And it's definitely not for the faint of heart. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> no it is uh, not no it is not we did an interview for the Easy in El Caldero a couple of years ago my colleague uh, Christian Ortiz and I uh, well he did interview Dr. Jan Shinoda Bolin and then I did the translation for it and part of the interview she said um, she was promoting her book like a tree or something about a tree I the, the title in Spanish on English escapes me but it was a book about trees and we were talking about the um, crimes against women that are happening in Mexico, particularly mm-hmm. on uh, Ciudad Juarez, the city of Juarez. And she made an analogy that really struck my heart. Like um, she says, uh, men are using women as they use trees to be cut and used and disposed of. And Wow. It is really, 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 really powerful words on on the doctor Jan Shinoda Bolin and and well for those who speak Spanish the interview is in the EC in El Caldero and there's an audio too for it. Um and it is amazing how people just don't see that, Susan. And okay. and then on the other hand you have people to whom men and women and people of any gender, um, whom you tell them I'm a feminist and they are like, Oh, so you're like those men. So Uh this brings me to let's define how we see feminism, the real feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, Go ahead. You know, one of those things, I always say that uh, when I was teaching women's studies classes, I was like, you get five feminists in a room and ask them what feminism means, you get six answers. 
But at its heart, to me, feminism is a social movement that places the drive for justice and equality for all people uh, sort of at the center. And that, you know, I, I really identify that, that movement with the word feminism because uh, I think it, a lot of the, the movement grows out of the especially the second wave of feminism here in the U.S., um, but it's an umbrella term for this larger social movement. So, you know, I don't think you can have gender equality without having racial equality, without having uh, equality based on, for, for people with different levels of enabledness, without having class equality. So, you know, my focus tends to be in my own work on issues impacting women uh, because that's a primary identity for me. But I also realize that for people of color or people with disabilities, that those identities might be more sort of at the forefront. Uh, but the, the goal is to look at and critically examine all forms of inequality and all forms of, of oppression and to build a movement to dismantle those or, you know, as one of my activists friends says, you know, see you in the street until we're all free. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's very easy for people to think, oh, it's just about women's issues. You know, why would we talk about race? Why would we talk about class? But it's all really tied up for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that. I love that the word feminism is disruptive in our culture because anything mm -hmm. that even sounds like it puts women at the center makes people nervous, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's I'm us. like, no, we're, Every once in a while, people are like, well, couldn't we just call it humanism? And I'm like, no, first of all, that has a meaning. And yeah. no, like, it's important to have it, to have that at the center, uh, to have, have gender at the center until we don't need to anymore. Exactly. The day is, is gone. Uh, I, was, I was having a, a little bit of a joke with a friend of mine who was traveling uh, to Europe and obviously seven hours ahead in the future and I asked him uh, if patriarchy was over and he says unfortunately not but what would you do Laura and I'm like um, I don't know I guess I will talk about the past and I will keep educating people so we don't go back to it but it's definitely right? like what what will we do Susan you and I we will be like uh, okay so we're done now what <laughs> Now what? Yep. It will be oh, a wonderful I, thing, though. It, it will. It, just think I, about I it. I thought about it. I'm like, what would we do with ourselves? I, oh, I'd probably find something different to fight. Um, I might first take a really long nap and uh, a long, hot <laughs> bath <laughs> to kind of wash all that off. But, oh, I, I, I think that we would find another battle to fight which, you know, mm -hmm. in one way makes me sad, and then another way is like, well, but that's that's how it goes. And if, if patriarchy was over tomorrow, like, how do we build something new, you know? I think it will, um, be, it will be a wonderful world. And I think, I truly believe, maybe I'm too, um, too positive or I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one, quoting the, right. the, the wife, Lenin. Uh, I want to believe that this is really 
again, going to politics and everything that's happening in the world, I really think this is a tipping point. And I really think that some good changes ought to come out of, of this situation. Uh, because we have uh, machismo or we have uh, misogyny, whatever term, they're both as disgusting as the other one. Uh, if that were to be eradicated, you know, it will be fantastic. Um, I see in all communities micro-misogyny, micro-misogyny being uh-huh. exuded by people. And we don't realize that we live in a patriarchal world. And it's really hard to deprogram ourselves into the things yes. that we can do time to time. So as a follower of the goddess and as an activist, how do you confront that? How do you educate folks? And is it all our responsibility to educate people on that? I think it is. And I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, you know, I have in part of my life, chosen to be an educator in very formal education spaces. I taught women's studies for a long time, and I'm hoping to get back to that uh, at the university where I work in a staff position now. Uh, we're, a, we're one of the only publicly funded universities in the U.S. that is predominantly for women, and we were almost exclusively for women until 1995. We, we didn't grant undergraduate degrees to men until 1995, and that's very unusual at a public university, and then we lost a Title IX case, so now we have about 10% of our students are men. But part of our sort of holding on to that heritage as a historically women's university is that you've got to take three hours of women's studies to graduate at CWU, which is unheard of, especially at a public university. So I taught there, you know, I taught the intro to women's studies class for a while while I was in graduate school, and I was really amazed at how far students came in 16 weeks with, you know, coming in and saying, oh, I'm not a feminist, you know, there's no gender inequality, there's no racism, to, at the end of the semester, saying, like, there's, some, there, there's a lot wrong with the world and we have to fix it now, and I'm going to go out and do it. So I definitely think that those spaces are important, but the the micro aggressions that you talk about, I think, are the ones that that's where the real work is to know how to confront that every day and to educate people without sort of shaming them or talking down to them is always the the challenge. Um, and learning how to confront, you know, when somebody tells a joke about the taco trucks or, you know. Somebody, you know, you're talking about a case like the Brock Turner rape case out in California, and people are like, well, but, you know, she shouldn't have gotten drunk at this party. Being able to kind of have a set of tools to disrupt that conversation when it happens and to feel empowered enough to do it, I, I think, is the some of the most powerful way that we can disrupt it. Um, that's difficult, I'm not going to lie, you know, and definitely – there are times where it's not safe to do it, but I think unless we kind of break that open on a really individual level, and all the sort of education we do in the universe, in the universities, and I, I'd like to see women's studies in high schools too, um, all that formal education that we do doesn't do anything if people 
sort of don't learn how to apply it in the street. Um, I've been reading a lot of Asabi Shakur of late. Um, I'm trying to read more Black feminist theory because that's a, something that we don't get enough of um, as white folks in our education. And you know, she says that theory without praxis is useless. And I mm-hmm. absolutely believe in that. Um, that you know, we can know all these things, but we have to know what to do about them. And to me, like my practice, my witchcraft is part of that. You know, the spaces that the ritual spaces that I help facilitate are about empowering people to speak up. Um, and, you know, we weave magic into that. You know, we'll weave protective magic or we, you know, let's take down the, the patriarchy. Let's put this horrible politician in the freezer <laughs> kind of stuff. But it's also a, a, a vehicle to empower people to know that they're not alone, that they don't have to accept this social order and that we can kind of bring into being some other way of living. And even if we can't change it all on the structural level, we can change it on the individual level. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this brings me to a memory um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm thinking about El Caldero a lot, uh, probably because it's a goddess movement magazine, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, we collaborated with Christian uh, Ortiz for a couple of years on that. And the, there was this um, article by Germana Martin Pereira. She's an Argentinian um, goddess movement, also spiritual person. She don't consider herself a priestess, I don't think. Um, but she works with go- uh, women mysteries and, and goddess mysteries and all that. And she was saying even our lexicon um, on Spanish, and unfortunately I've seen this happen in English too, where we are very comfortable with calling God, God. But when we call goddess, yeah. we call the de- goddess. So yeah. A lot of people say, let's call God and the goddess. And we put that... Uh, um, how do you call those um, pronoun? Oh, no. the def- oh, the the article. The the the, defin- like the, the, the article. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's put an article behind the word goddess because we are so not used to call goddess goddess, and yes. that that little act of saying God and goddess and not let's call God and the goddess. That mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. is the micro action that will speak volumes because why is she in need of an article? Why does she need to be presented on a different separate category of her own when God is, is God, you know? And right. There are all these tiny little things that we can all do and, and, and work and spread the word and, Believe me, folks, when you just talk about the things that you've experienced and that you've seen on your lifetime, um, I have people that have told me, you know, I saw something, Laura, and I can almost hear you in my head. That's misogyny. That is unfair treatment of women. And, and I'm like, yes, my work here yeah. is done. And here I am lifting yeah. my right fist. <laughs> you know? I'm lifting my so, solidarity. Right? <laughs> it reminds so, me of something that my women's studies students always say they're at the end of the semester, they're like, Dr. Susan, I can't unknow this stuff. I can't unsee it. It's like, yep, that's the thing. Is it, you know, fish don't know that they're swimming in water. 
But once we become aware of this water that we're swimming in, you can't, you can't unknow it. And then you see it everywhere because it is everywhere. You know, racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, it's everywhere, even in the, the tiniest little linguistic acts that we perform. Yeah. It is totally, um, and I think if we cannot go and protest, if we cannot write a sign and, and go for folks like me who are a little agoraphobic, um, mm-hmm. you know, one-on-one, just talk about it and, and you don't need to fight. You don't need to argue. You can just point out like, hey, uh, I think that joke is not, or or why is that funny? Yes, why do you that's, think that's, that's my funny? favorite reaction? Yeah, my it's the one I'll always do when somebody tells you they're a racist or a sexist or homophobic joke. I'll just look at them and go, I don't get it. And yeah, I'll be like, well, it's funny. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't get it. Explain it to me. And <laughs> nine times out of ten, once they're you know five or six words into explaining it, they're like, oh, I'm like yeah, yeah, that's that's not see that's not really that funny, is it? Um. And it's, you know, sometimes people are dense and they don't, they really don't get it. But like, no, I don't understand that. Why is that funny? Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, why would, you know, why would you, like, why would you say that? Or like, maybe, maybe could we talk about that another way? Yeah. You know, and I, I think so much, it is, especially when it comes to language, is so automatic that we don't think about where the expressions that we use come from, that we don't, we don't think about how loaded a lot of the things that we say are until somebody calls us on it. Cause I know I've certainly had to take things out of my vocabulary in the, in sort of my political education where I'm like, Oh, Oh, that means that. Okay. So, you know, but it's an expression or a word that was handed down to me or that I heard in culture and I adopted and had to unlearn. So, you know, that, that one-on-one stuff is really really powerful because that's you know for a lot of people that is where change happens all the people that you had conversations with who now you're the little feminist jiminy cricket on their shoulder you know that's huge Mhm, mhm. yeah and and it happens from a person who was um i i will i mean i'm not shaming the person at all as a matter of fact i love them but they were not aware of of how many things were, you know, kind of like oppressive or, you know, against women on their vocabulary. And I'll be like, hmm, aren't we the little micro aggressors here? And then what happened now, they found themselves on the other side and they're like, huh, I could almost hear you, Laura. And I'm like, good. That's great. Good. That is fantastic. (laughs) So so let's let's, uh, talk a little bit more about Okay, so we are feminists and we're all about empowering women and and helping people come into their complete power. And my colleague, Christian Ortiz, used to say, or or he keeps saying all the time, that the first power or the first form of of, uh, liberation comes from the body and and owning your body. What Uh will be your take Uh on that? I think it's really important. Um, 
you know, and I, I look back at some of the things that I read as I was coming into goddess spirituality, and they very much talk about the body. And they talk about women's bodies in a very particular way. You know, they assume that all women menstruate, that all women will give birth, you know, and that's sort of problematic uh, because that's, that's not true. But I do think that, you know, coming into the body and, and kind of moving through the mind-body split that we're encouraged to have, especially in Christianity, um, and seeing the body not as something that's dirty and profane and to be overcome, but something to be celebrated and that's sacred, I think that is the first form of power. Um, and that can include, you know, if you're somebody that menstruates, claiming that is sacred, or if you are um, somebody who has a disability, uh, looking at that not as an imperfection, um, but as something that's part of who you are, um, to to really step in, I think is key. And I use a lot of embodied practice in my practice. Um, you know, I really uh, used a lot of ecstatic dance, especially when I was first practicing. Um, I do burlesque, which to me is absolutely priestess work, you know, getting up and taking my clothes off in front of 200 people all hooting and hollering at me in a bar. That was about claiming my body and what I was going to do with it and that I could adorn it and move it and show it to whoever I wanted. Um, and that was incredibly sacred for me. So I, I think that, um, I think he's onto something there. Um, because if we're not, if we can't fully inhabit our bodies, then it's very difficult to walk through the world as a whole person. Um, I say that knowing that there are people who have many, many challenges with claiming their body and, um, you know, that it, it can be incredibly difficult to move through the world in a body that's marginalized. But if we can find a way to take the power of that, I think it can be incredibly healing for people. Mm-hmm. And where do you think we're going? Um, because we're all experimenting here. Most of us um, who are open to all kinds of people with all kinds of different self-identification as their gender or their um, self, right? Um, because we see groups or, or social gatherings such as like the Red Tent or women's only groups or men's only groups or situations like that. Um, how do you think the future will look on a very inclusive, um, say, spiritual goddess group uh, for folks mm -hmm. who identify as, as female, if somebody starts talking about the power of the womb or, or the power of menstruation or the mysteries of the blood, how do you think we can accommodate for everyone to feel comfortable and to know that the mysteries are not only related to your genitalia? I, I think that's so important, and that's something that a lot of us are talking about, that my circle, I have... Um, Right now, four co-priestesses that are I work with really closely in my new moon circle. And we talk about this a lot um, because um, for those of us in that circle that are cis women, uh, coming to embrace menstruation as sacred was really important for us. And we don't think that people that menstruate should have to stop doing that. Um, but at the same time, we also recognize that that's only one way of, of sacralizing the body. And so 
uh, kind of the approach that that we've taken and we're still baby stepping it is, you know, if we're going to say have a ritual around making making menstruation sacred again. One, we don't call that a women's ritual um, because not all women menstruate for lots of reasons. Um, we call we call it a menstruation ritual or um, We've talked about using the term red tent, but the red tent movement, at least here in Texas, tends to be very, very white, very middle class, and very exclusionary. And so I don't really necessarily want to affiliate with that. Um, okay. And if we're going to have a ritual about menstruation, sort of what we tell people, um, you know, if I'm going to, like, let's say advertise it, let's say I'm going to put it on a festival schedule, you know, I'll describe it and say this ritual focuses on the experiences of people who menstruate. Um, if you are not somebody who's menstruated, this might not be for you. Um, and mm-hmm. within the ritual, um, I think you can talk about that experience being very sacred without implying that people that don't have it are less sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it becomes like very um just being very intentional about your language. Um, that said, if, you know, when I have held and, and, you know, when I go on to hold rituals that focus on menstruation, any person who gets there and is, you know, has read the description and is, and thinks that that ritual is for them, I'm not going to ask them about their medical history, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. You, you got here. And I think that that, you know, that's a big part of it is that, we we use terms like women's ritual or men's ritual or motherhood ritual, and we assume based on the kind of common cultural understandings of those words that people are going to know what that means. And we have to be much more intentional and much more clear about what it is we're doing. And, you know, when it's appropriate to do so, um, I'm all about supporting people that have bodily experiences that are not mine in having spaces to celebrate the sacredness of those bodies. And if they want my input as a priestess, I'll talk about that all day long. But I think we just need to have a much broader understanding and to recognize that, you know, not all spaces are for everyone and that is okay. We can have women's spaces and men's spaces and spaces for, um, people of color and spaces for trans people. And that's all important. We just have to talk about it in a way where we focus on why a given group of people need to come together, not why people that aren't in that group need to stay out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that, that ultimately is going to be a lot healthier. I think it's fraught, you know, how we sort of figure out how to do it in a movement as diverse and big um, as the, you know, as the larger pagan movement, even as the God of spirituality movement. But I, I think that the future is inclusive. And I think that it has much broader definitions uh, than we have previously worked with about what it means to be a woman or a man or even a human and uh, how we, we celebrate those experiences in sacred space. It's, it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. If you have me back in a year, I might have a different answer, but you know, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's definitely something we're talking about. I mean, it's understandable because the the more you, in my in my opinion, in my experience, 
the more that society wants to label us, the more labels you find. And then it's hard to yeah. encompass all labels. And honestly, this is something I've been saying for many, many years. You have your uh, homosexuals, transsexuals, pansexuals. And I think if we do away with all the prefixes and just accept that humans are sexual and that and leave it at that <laughs> and then let each yeah. adult decide who they are and how they define themselves. Uh, because there are currently about 40-some different um, identifications, that, are, to my knowledge. And there's probably yeah, there's, more there's out there. Yeah. Well, and they vary well, so much across culture, too. Yeah, totally. So, in my opinion, it, goes, it boils down to language and how we express ourselves and, and how we are clear. And I highly appreciate yeah. your input on that. With that being said, um, we are going to go on a musical break at this moment. Um, I don't, I don't want to leave without saying thank you to all the people that are in the chat room at this moment. I see my lovely Kira Lang, Hippie Janet, Darren, that is always here. Uh, I know Hunter Dahl will be listening probably to the recording of this. I know Michael was listening, and I know we have a couple of guests. And if you all have any questions for Dr. Susan Harper, you can send them to me privately if you're listening and you're in the chat or if you're not in the chat but you're on facebook you can send them to me through facebook just uh give me a second because it's kind of hard to you know i i'm i'm sure doctor you can relate since you are also oh, yeah. a broadcaster here it's hard to be on yes, facebook yes. and the chat room and uh uh <laughs> and and promoting uh programming the music and all of that so be a little yes, patient yes. Uh, we still have a whole hour ahead of us if Dr. Susan decides to stay the whole hour, which we'll be delighted for that. Um, and we're going to go with uh, some of one whom I think is one of the most powerful women singers out there, and I love her music. Not that everybody else is not powerful, but her voice just carries for miles and miles. And with a song that is also very powerful. Uh, we're going to listen to Wendy Rule, and this is Hecate, and we see you back in about four minutes.
Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos. We are under the same beautiful, beautiful supermoon, whether in English or in Espanol. This is your very first bilingual show here in Pagans Tonight Radio Network, brought to you by witchcool.com. So please visit witchcool.com so we can keep going with the shows. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to talk very quickly about shows that are coming uh, in the next couple of weeks. We have our anniversary, we have our anniversary. Yes, Lunatic Mondays is going to be one year old, and we're going to celebrate with a lot of folks, a lot of people are coming. So if you speak Spanish, on uh, November 21st, we're going to have the anniversary program. My dearest colleague, Christian Ortiz, is going to be my co-host, and we're going to have a number of people calling. You can call, you can uh, send us a line, send us a message, let us know how you like the show, what do you want to change, what do you want to keep. If you think that Lunatic Mondays is okay, also let us know, please. Um, that's going to be on the 21st of November. On the 28th of November, if you speak English only, we're going to have the anniversary celebration with our very own Everyday Goddess. Our dear Celia Farron is going to be acting as a co-host for a show on our anniversary. And at the same rate, we invite people 
to call and let us know have you liked the show so far it's been a year uh also i'd like to remind you that on the first week of december we are moving an hour earlier a lot of people talk to us and we listen and we are moving an hour earlier for a lot of people who couldn't listen to us because the show was too late especially on the east coast or the west coast i'm always getting confused uh where new york and all that is uh usually too late for them to listen I think that's the West Coast. I don't know. I'm confused. Uh, Lunatic Mondays, anything can happen. You know that. You know I'm also a little crazy. But anyway, December 5th, for those who speak Spanish, our dearest Madeline Benitez is going to be talking about traditional Wicca. And for those who speak Spanish, also on on December 19th, my very own teacher of Nahuatl uh, language is going to be here. Akashi Jolcin is going to be talking about the Mesoamerican cultures and the native peoples, which is very important to speak about right now. On December 12th, for those who speak English, very important, Dr. Dennis Carpenter, Dr. Dennis Carpenter is going to be here on this show talking about uh, eco-sustainability, ecology, and climate change, and all those things that as pagans should be very, very important front front and center for us. And on December 26th, again, our dearest Celia Theron, is going to be here on the show. This time we're going to dedicate the whole show to celebrate her art, her music, and her wonderful talent. And, well, these are the shows that are uh, programmed and coming for you on Lunatic Mondays. Remember, December, we begin at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we're back here with Dr. Susan Harper. How are you, my dear? I'm good. I was dancing in my chair listening to Wendy Roll. That was fabulous. Right, love her. I, I I love her. She's fantastic. I'm uh, currently trying to invite her to come to Lunatic Mondays probably by spring. So let's keep our fingers fingers crossed. And I want to say hi to all the people who are in the chat room. Darren, Happy Janet, Caroline, our guests, and all the people that I know they're listening and they are not here in the chat room. I know Michael was listening. I think that. Uh, Rosemary Nostelic is listening too, I think, and I'm sure some people will listen to the show as it is archived and, and recorded. Um, please remember to go to Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos page on Facebook, like it, share it, and uh, click on the thing for the events so you can see who are our upcoming shows. And also, when this show is archived, we share it there uh, from our iBox channel. So if people are not able to listen to it right now, it's always stay on the archives of Pagans Tonight Radio Network. Speaking of which, um, I know you do a show on, on Pagans Tonight Radio Network. And yeah. I, I'm curious to ask you, how long you've been doing this show and how did you get involved with, uh, with Pagans Tonight Radio Network? Yeah, um, I've been doing the show about a year and a half. My co-host, Michael Graywolf, and I, do a show called All Acts of Love and Pleasure on the, let me see, the first, third, and if there is one, fifth, Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Central Time. And uh, we talk about sex, sexuality, relationships, and all that kind of arena from a pagan perspective, although we often stray into politics and all kinds of other good stuff, too. Uh, We have a lot of fun to tune in and listen to us. And I got involved because I am friends with 
Pam Kelly, who is our station manager here, and we have known each other since she lived out here in Texas, and we, we joke that we're twins. We just have to decide on any given day which one's the evil one because we often feel like we share a brain. <laughs> and she asked me to come on her show a couple of times to talk about the work that I do because as an anthropologist, my my research is with pagans and with sex and sexuality and gender. So I came on her show a couple of times to talk, and we had a lot of fun. And so she asked if I might want to have a show. And Michael and I had been talking about starting a podcast, so we decided to take that idea and turn it into all acts of love and pleasure. So um, we are on for an hour before the Pagan Variety Show comes on on those Wednesday nights. And uh, we have talked about everything from paganism and BDSM to polyamory. Our last guest was Diana Rachel, who wrote a book called Divorcing a Real Witch, uh, a, a guide to divorce for pagans. Uh, we just, we just kind of, it's very much the same format that you have here, Laura. We just kind of get together and we just have a chat. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's not something I ever thought that I would do, but I have so much fun doing it. And we are it uh, is. on this week, actually. Oh, beautiful. So there you have it, folks. If you want to listen to Dr. Susan being on the other side of the microphones. And, uh, you know, obviously, Michael, we love him. And uh, every time I get to see him, I feel like I'm giving you a hug, too. And when they went to Texas Aww. not long ago, I told him to give you a hug for me. So I really hope they did. Oh, he did. did. He Good. did. <laughs> yeah, Michael is one of my favorite people. So we went through some very formative experiences uh, forming a pagan organization at a Methodist university together. So he's a, a special person. And uh, since he's moved to Illinois, I'm glad that I have a built-in appointment to talk to him uh, at least every two weeks. Uh, this week, I think we're going to be processing some election stuff and looking at some reaction from the pagan community to what has happened and especially from queer pagans and women in the pagan community. So kind of tying in with, with our theme. So it should be interesting. So speaking of, of uh, paganism in general and being a, an activist and um, we have this phenomenon happen for the past couple of weeks where it was uh, incredibly nice and warm and, and, and pleasant and did you notice that right after the election, the weather changed? I did. I did. And I'm like, Isn't... hmm. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, the day, the day after was so dark and cloudy. And I mean, and it stays nice here in Texas, but it was just miserable, humid and gross and dark and everybody was depressed. So I'm, uh, you know, I tend to believe these things are all connected. So, like, I felt like the whole world was crying. Like, yeah. Was in despair. Yeah, you know, yeah I mean, there, maybe... there were there were so many folks that they were telling me leading to the election day uh, elsewhere. You know, Latin America and Spain and all mm-hmm. the people who I connect on on Spanish. They were like, "Oh, I'm having headaches and I feel ill and I don't know what's going on." And I'm like, "It's the election, honey." It it mm-hmm. is a global phenomenon, and it affects. I mean, obviously, what what happens in the United States affects the whole world. Completely. So, 
because we are connected and we are that that sense of separation is just an illusion. Yes. You know. Yes. Well, and I, totally. and I think you know I take really take to heart um, the Sarhark's work was a really big and has been a really big influence in my work, and you know when she talks about really the necessity for her of being an activist as part of being pagan. You know, she points to that connection that, you know, the ecosystem is so connected and the people are connected because we all live on the same planet and that we have a responsibility, uh, especially as people who are trained and, you know, work magic and work with energy. We have a responsibility to use that for the greater good. I I think sometimes we um, we forget that activism comes different, very many different flavors and sizes and and places. So being the activist that you are, because <laughs> you're constantly talking and 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 doing and and acting as a beacon for so many people, and I say that from Thank my you. own experience. Thank um, you. We've seen, I mean, there's so many topics that we can talk about, but there are a, a few that are near and dear to my heart uh, on paganism. And one of them, and I know it's a very, very tender subject for a lot of people, uh, appropriation, man. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. cultural, cultural appropriation. Um, when I do, which I do quite often, thank you for all the people who like to listen to me talking about when I do my Day of the Dead or Genesis tradition, or I did cosmology of the Mesoamerican um, deities, uh, this last Samhain at Circle. And when I'm talking to those people and I'm saying, if you like to celebrate Day of the Dead and you're here listening to what Day of the Day is, Day of the Dead is, I don't consider that appropriation. I consider that mm-hmm. that culturally you like it. You're educating yourself. You know what it is about. And then if you would like to celebrate, but it's not just about painting a sugar skull on your face, but it's about honoring right. the culture and all that. Um, humbly, I will repeat a, a phrase that I utilize a lot. I think the healing um, for appropriation is education. Um, but, but why do you think we have such pandemic on the pagan world? Where do you think that comes from? You know, I've thought about it a lot, and and definitely I look back at the goddess spirituality that I was that I kind of came up in, um, and we totally have massive issues with cultural appropriation in a lot of the, especially the writing that came out in the seventies. Um, you know, lots of particularly native North American. Um, indigenous tradition, um, and I've actually had pagans and, and other sort of goddess women say, well, we were all Native American in a past life, so it's okay to put on a war bonnet now, um, and it just makes me grit my teeth. Um, but the anthropologist in me thinks that it's because, at least historically, the pagan movement in the U.S. has been really, really, really white. And the way that we kind of have done whiteness in this culture is, you know, people don't have a lot of connection to their own heritage. You know, we just think about white as one homogenous category, right? And I even have had white students 
tell me, they're like, oh, I'm white. I don't have culture. And so, which is of course not true, but um, so when people go looking for meaning, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we go looking for religion uh, and they're like, well, I didn't have spiritual connection. I don't have connection to a culture. And they see cultures that have long tradition and they want, they want that. uh, And they don't, have any idea how to look for that in their own culture and so they kind of grab onto it i i call it sort of the phenomenon where like if, when the brown people do it it's more spiritual is unfortunately something i see a lot in the pagan community uh, and so you know we've got i think that and then it's reinforced by a lot of our writers and the fact that we don't talk about it and the fact that if you're white in this culture and you go through a well honestly if you go through public school um you don't learn much about cultures outside of kind of eurocentric white america or if you do you learn about them for two weeks during you know african american history month or whatever and you get a very romanticized very colonized vision i have to explain to college educated people on a regular basis that they're still living native americans in this culture they assume that they were just all dead. Uh, so I think it's, it's, again, you know, like you said, the, the remedy is education. So I think people sort of don't know. We also are, are taught that racism isn't a thing, that if our intentions are good, we don't hurt people. And it just, it creates this sort of perfect storm where you have people in the name of service to their gods doing these terribly racist things. Really. Uh, but then also being hurt when they're called on it because they've found meaning in Day of the Dead or in Burning Sage or, you know, whatever that tradition is. And so it feels like you're telling them they're a bad person. Um, and so it just ends up being the, the perfect storm of badness when you have that conversation as much as we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one rule of thumb that I have for people is don't assume things, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm Mexican. A lot of people assume that I'm a Santera, and I'm like, right. no, <laughs> I I don't I I know nothing about. Well, I know a little bit about Orishas, and I know a little bit of. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying something wrong. Um, that is the no, yeah, that's Santeria, right? With mm-hmm. the Orishas, yeah. and, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I now know a little bit about Orishas and who they are and what they do and all that, but uh, some people assume because you're Latin American then that you are and and you're in paganism that you are a Santero or Santera, and yeah. I'm like no, not all of us got that Afro Caribbean root on our spirituality, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm more into the Mesoamerican culture and the so-called Aztecs. Um, re- Aztec religion, which is neither Aztec nor religion, is a philosophy of the Mesoamerican people, whom didn't see these figures as gods and goddesses. They were more like a fi- philosophical interpretation of qualities and, and archetypes, if you will. Mm-hmm. But let's not go into that. Um, it, to listen to each other and to remove the guilt, because that's a Catholic and Christian upbringing that we cannot keep in paganism so mm-hmm, taking the guilt mm-hmm. away and just listening to each other i 
you just hurt my heart to to hear that someone who's white will say I don't have culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm oh, like, really? I mean, no. Uh, when I started uh, in my Wiccan uh, studies, everything was so Eurocentric and white that I was like, eh, mm-hmm. <laughs> where can we sit? And it wasn't until right. I saw on Cunningham that he mentions a couple of the so-called astagats and goddesses. And I was like, see, we all can tap into our own whatever calls to you, you know, because it's also uh, that you don't have to follow a pantheon specifically because you were born on a specific side of the earth. I mean, it's it's so complicated, you know. I I had a friend, um, I have a friend who's Mexican and is very highly attracted to the Nordic pantheon. And she turned to me saying, I feel like I'm betraying my, my race. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> when, a call and, when a god or goddess calls to you, then you educate yourself. That's all you do. Right. You're, right. you're not betraying anyone. And I, Go ahead. I think that's key because I know I run into it a lot with, um, from being from where I'm from, I'm from South Dakota and grew up surrounded by a lot of Lakota religion um, and was very attracted to that when I first sort of came into paganism and, and I will fully admit I did some appropriation stuff that I'm really when I was 19 that I'm pretty embarrassed by now but you know I learned better and I, I know the, the conversation that has been sort of going around in a lot of our circles is about uh, a lot of sort of the mostly white goddessy circles that um, I spend time in although my personal circle is very diverse for which I'm very grateful um, is a question about using sage. You know, I have have had to wrestle with sort of whether that's an okay thing for me to do. Um, and you know, what I have come to from reading is that it is okay for me to use sage to clean space, to cleanse space, but I shouldn't call what I do smudging because mm-hmm. there is in my, you know, in the, the indigenous cultures with which I am familiar, smudging is a whole set of rituals. And I was not trained in those. So what I do, like very literally, is not smudging. What I do is smoke clearing. What I do is burning sage. And yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I don't use a big, I don't use an eagle feather. I don't, you know, I burn sage in a little ceramic pot. <laughs> but when I brought that up in a women's spirituality group I was in online, people freaked out. They said, you know, who are these people to tell us that we can't burn sage? It's all one. It was all given to us by goddess. Okay, first of all, rein in your entitlement, white girl. Second of all, nobody's telling you, nobody's taking your toys away. Nobody's telling you you can't burn sage. What they're (laughs) telling you is that context matters and that, you know, what you're doing is not smudging and that, you know, if, you know, you want to use sage to clear space energetically, like, go for it. Just don't pretend or tell people that what you're doing is part of this indigenous ceremony that you don't know anything about. Uh, and, oh, my gosh, like, I, ha- I had to nope out of that conversation because people just lost it. Um, and I also had a problem with the fact that, you know, there's people that will talk all day about how spiritual indigenous people are. And then you bring up like the Dakota access pipeline in North Dakota and what's actually happening to indigenous people. And they're like, what? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So I kind of think if you're, you're going to say you're inspired by native spiritual native forms of spirituality, maybe you should know something about actual native people. Um, mm-hmm. So that's you know, and I, that's something that you run into in places with appropriation a lot is that people have no idea uh, about the the culture it comes from, the contemporary situation of those people, uh, about colonization. And that's very different than people that come to a workshop, like you were mentioning, and they learn about it, and then they take pieces that inspire them and use them in a way that is informed rather than just like, hey, isn't this cool? Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. People, are, people are just so resistant to that conversation. It's, it's one we're having, um, and we need to. We need to be having a much larger conversation about appropriation and a much larger, larger conversation about racism in the pagan community, but... Ooh, us white folks are so fragile sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens to the best of us. I've read all these articles by non-Mexican people talking about, and I'm going to say his name one time only because I refuse to bring that to my mouth, La Santa Muerte. Mm-hmm. And the imagery seems to be cool for some people and they have no clue what that is mm-hmm. and they bring it to their altars for Samhain and Day of the Dead and I'm like oh my god you you have no idea the and I don't like to use the word evil but that thing is evil and I'm like these are evil energies that you are feeding and you might as well go and be living with a cartel uh people and help them kill people you know because that's what you're doing but oh but I read the book by Smith or by Kuczynski or Jordan and I'm like yeah they don't know her they didn't live with her they have no idea who she is and she's not even in the same zip code of what Day of the Dead is you know and right and then we're feeding into energies that we don't know and 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 the same thing with the protectors, the water protectors and the people who are protesting, say, it's like here in Chicago with the politics. Oh, the the ones in Chicago inconvenience me, so I'm going to talk crap about them. But let me post this, uh, let me repost this thing about the Dakota Access Pipeline. And I'm like, okay, can you see the inconsistency there? Because these right. are all people who are fighting for their rights. Right, and if, for your if you're right. not down with Black Lives Matter, you know you don't need to be down with the protesters, with us as protectors. <laughs> yeah, it's like so so many inconsistencies, and so we see a problem. We see that there are so many inconsistencies, and then there a, there is also a whole lot of people on the pagan community and on the world that want to do something. So. From different perspectives, from different uh, places of bringing our Amazon or warrior, where are little pe- little things that people can do that are, uh, and I'm going to say something wrong probably, to be actively an activist? Little things no, that I you think, will recommend. I, I think that's a great question because a lot of times people think that if they're not painting themselves to um, – a, a payloader or they're not out in the street with a sign that that means they're not an activist. And I'm very much about sort of small everyday acts of resistance and small everyday acts of activism. Um, so I think that 
you know, one of the biggest things that we, we do is we talk to people, um, that we educate ourselves and about what's going on, whatever, whatever the issue is, whether it's Dakota Access Pipeline or is it, um, you know, access to health care for trans people or, you know, what, whatever you're, you're passionate about. Educate yourself about it. Talk to other people about it. Um, I know this past summer uh, with everything that was happening in, at the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, there was part of me that felt really bad that I couldn't just pick up and go to North Dakota. And because that's, those are the prairies that I grew up on. Like that's, that's an extension of my home. I wanted to be there. And instead I was in Texas behind a desk sharing stuff on Facebook. Right. And uh, I was sort of lamenting that one day. And, and in that day alone, I had four separate people tell me, they're like, no, Susan, like, the mainstream media is not covering this. If you weren't sharing stuff from like little res newspapers on your Facebook feed, I wouldn't know anything about this, but I do know. And like, I gave money to the legal defense fund or my church is, you know, getting uh, supplies together to take up to the school. So I think, you know, it's very easy to say like a click on Facebook doesn't do any good, but you can use things like social media very strategically if you know there's something that you see that there's a, a void in information and you can get information um, I do a lot of boosting of voices of people that people in my circle might not ordinarily hear because I read a lot I, I, I follow a lot I read very broadly so I boost a lot of native voices I boost a lot of queer voices uh, and I have a lot of people sort of in my life Say that they've shared that stuff out and that they've had conversations or that, you know, by following and reading my links that they have learned a lot. So, you know, that's, I think, a very simple thing that we can do is, you know, I'm always following five or six different causes, but if you have one that you're super passionate about, really get educated, figure out where the good news comes from, where the, the accurate analysis comes from and share it. Um, you know, money, money always talks. You know, the willingness to, to research and donate money to good causes makes a difference. Volunteering your time matters. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's so it's uh, all these small things. And if you want to go out and do a direct action and, like, get out in the street, I'm all for it. I think you should learn how to do that and get, you know, educate yourself or get in with some some people who have experience and can, can make sure that you stay safe and that you identify direct actions that are actually um, – like well-organized and have an end game. But I, I think for a lot of us, um, especially with what's going on now, there's so many people like they want to do something, but they don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. like, you can start small. Um, I'm a big mm-hmm. advocate too of uh, what my friends in anti-racism work call it. <laughs> they call it coming for your people. Um, mm-hmm. so like As a white lady, I have a lot of conversations about racism with other white ladies. Because that's mm-hmm. not the job of women of color to have, have those conversations about privilege with them. Um, mm-hmm. And I get frustrated and I cut them in my breath, but like I come for my people. Or when it's cultural appropriation and goddess circles, I'll talk about it. Like I will talk about trans exclusive radical feminism and goddess culture all day long because I'm coming for my people. And so, you know, kind of learning how to have those conversations. Um, even if you're not ready to like, give a workshop or run a website, uh, I think are really practical points of entry 
for people that either don't want to or don't know how or aren't able to do um, sort of bigger actions or aren't able to give money. These sort of like everyday acts Mm -hmm. are are Mm -hmm. super, super important. Yeah. And I think it's very important that you mentioned the giving money because I know firsthand of people whom feel guilty because they say, all I can do is give money. And I'm like, well, money moves the world. So if that's you, that's what you can do, then please do it because it's needed. Right. Um, right. I cannot go to, to a march because my body, my body's abilities are limited. And like I say earlier, I'm a little bit of an uh, agoraphobic Um mm-hmm. But from sitting here in front of my computer, I do as much as I can. And if I can give money, then by all means, you know. And please, let's, let's, feeling guilty does not help. No, it does not. So let's let's do away with the guilt and then try to do something. I want to share with you very quickly because Hippie Janet has been sharing with us in the chat. And I want to share with you and our listeners. Uh, When we were talking about education, she was saying, I educate my children. It's important that we are so honest with them that it breaks their hearts. The dishonesty in education is heartbreaking. Not homeschool, but I check what they're learning and add add to it and correct the original teaching. I hope to be able to take a shamanism class next year, she said, when we were talking about Native American culture. Mm -hmm. And then she says, yes, it's hard to know what the media is telling you. And uh, when you don't watch TV like me, I try to share good information. I think we all try to do... um, a little bit, and I think that the little bit that we do helps. Uh, to me, the confirmation was when my friend says, I was hearing your voice. And if all you have mm-hmm. is your tool and your voice, then then talk about it. And like Dr. Susan was saying, it's not to be on a confrontational or defiant way, but more on a, hey, let's, let's talk about this as adults and let's uh, point out the fact that this is hurting me. And please, folks, if a people of color or if a person, if a minority, if whoever tells you this is hurting me, this is not right, please check yourself. Yes. It's very important yes. because a big part of, of spirituality, especially in the goddess movement, uh, Susan, I don't know if you'll agree or not, but is that self-examination, you know, how how yep. can your spirit grow, grow, sorry, how can your spirit grow if you don't keep yourself in check constantly? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. all about, you know, the, I, I'm trying to remember who said it, but it's that, that uh, an unexamined life is not worth living. And, you know, I have had to sort of examine myself and check myself and go, oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. But I guess I didn't know. And now I'm going to do something better. Like so many times on this path. Um, and you know, one of the things that's so key is, you know, allowing for people to have their voice and own their stories. Because if you don't control your narrative, you don't control anything. And that is so key when, you know, members of a marginalized group say, hey, what you're doing hurts me. You don't pull back and explain all the reasons why they shouldn't be hurt. Say, okay, you know, thank you. (laughs) And then you examine, um, I don't know why that's so hard, but it is, I think it's most people don't want to feel like they're bad people, but you're probably not being told you're a, a bad person. You're just being told that you made a mistake and that we're going to learn from it and do better. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Because how can you, 
how can you know you made a mistake if you don't know you made a mistake? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I don't think most people get up in the morning and say, how many people can I offend today? Uh, I think a lot of us just have a knowledge deficit. We don't know. And I Mm -hmm. I love what our our chatter said about looking at what her kids are learning and Mm -hmm. and augmenting or correcting because, you know, definitely we get through our media, through our school books, there's a very particular version. I mean, you're down here in Texas where they took Thomas Jefferson out of the American history books because he was a deist and called Moses one of the founding fathers. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Let let that sink in, right? Uh, So we have to to look, you know, because the control of information is so important. And you can even see that, you know, in our current climate with like, with like WikiLeaks and, you know, these letters from the FBI that came out about Hillary Clinton's emails, like the, that information, you know, it, it, it changes the world. We have to really pay attention to what it is that, that we're putting out there and what we're consuming. And, and we have to be really critical Mm-hmm. about the way we consume media. So we're we're towards the ending cycle of our show tonight and you've told us all these wonderful things and and help us broaden our education and and our way of thinking. I'm I'm really thankful for everything you've said so far. Thank you. But I wanna ask you something and this kind of goes into the like kind of a very personal territory. So if Please don't feel compelled that you have to answer. But uh, are you are you actually a, a theist? You believe that there is a goddess sitting in a cloud out there watching us, or are you I'm, more of a archetypalist or archetypist? I, what, what will be the right I, word? I'm more pro. I, I, more of an archetypist. I'm more. Um, here's your fancy audience. Here's your fancy religious studies word for the day. Um, I'm a I'm a monist which is uh, this philosophy. I actually published an essay about it in a book called Naming the Goddess by Moon Books a couple of years ago, that I believe that there is some sort of divine energy out there and that all the gods and goddesses and archetypes that every culture has ever known are part of this like great unknowable source. What, um, some of my new agey friends call it the great cosmic wow. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I call goddess is because I'm looking at that one way. And, you know, what my Christian friends call God is another way. And what my Hellenic friends call Athena is another way. And it's all sort of part and parcel of the same thing. And we all just kind of pull out the images of the archetypes that speak to us. Um, mm-hmm. There was a time where I was actually a pretty hard theist because I came out of Church of Christ Christianity. You know, I grabbed onto kind of the idea of a angry parent on the cloud pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. But as I've kind of studied and uh, my doctoral studies in anthropology of religion meant that I had to read a lot of religious philosophy. I've kind of come out on that other side of it. Uh, would you mind repeating that word that you said? Yeah, what is it monist? called? Uh, monist. It's M O N I S T. Monist. Huh. Okay, yes. I have to look that up uh, because yeah, that that resonates a lot with me. I I used to, well, I consider myself an archetypist, 
mostly, but yeah, being a tarot reader, you know. Speaking of oh, speaking yeah. of which, oh, yeah. um, we invited you in the past to come and read tarot with us on one of our tarot nights. Um, do you think that could happen? <laughs> oh, that could so happen. That could so happen. I uh, love tarot. All right, because we're gonna have uh, one on January. I will give you details, but we would love to have you. And probably yeah. uh, uh, we're our, our witchy sister and artist extraordinaire, Rosemarina Stelic, and that will be a three women powerhouse of tarot. Uh, four, yeah. maybe we join with Carolina more because that's that's going to be a amazing tarot night on January 16th. Um, yeah, hoping that everyone is available, and but not to. Uh, not to go to another thing. Well, just lunatic Mondays. Anything can happen. Um, our dear Caroline is here in the chat room, and she's been listening to the show the whole time. And I want to play a song um, for her and for us and for everyone who listens because she's part of Fire Rhythm. And we just coincide on loving Fire Rhythm. So we're going to listen to this uh, called I Am Pagan, and we're coming back just to do the kind of closing of, the, of this show here with Dr. Susan Harper. So if you have any questions, this is the time to send them. And we'll be back in about three minutes. I am pagan and I'm proud. I am pagan, gonna shout it loud. I am pagan, want the world to know.
are listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. <laughs> and we're back here live, and this is Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos, either in English or in Espanol. We are under the same moon, bajo la misma luna, here with your host, uh, lunatic <laughs> lunatic expert Laura Gonzalez on the very first bilingual show for Pagans Tonight Radio Network and we are still with the lovely Dr. Susan Harper and I was laughing because I was telling <laughs> I was telling in the chat that I'm visualizing Kira Lang dancing and she says in my PGs in my PGs she's dancing on the PGs thank <laughs> you <laughs> that is fantastic I love Spiral Rhythm uh, they were here on a show uh, towards the beginning of our of our uh, season on this show, and it was fantastic. That was the first show where I have seven guests, wow. and everyone, yeah, and and it was fantastic because they were all in the same room, but they were very good at uh, muting their respective phones, and it was fantastic. And then they sang live. Oh. So that if you, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. If you all want to listen to that, that is archived on the page for Lunatic Mondays, Lunas Lunaticos. You can look it up in the iBox channel, or you can go to Pagan's Tonight Radio Network and on the archives and look for uh, Spiral Rhythm because that was fantastic. They made me cry because they always made me cry uh, when I listen to them live. It's just like, ugh. And uh, Hippie Janice says I was there. Yes, she was. And uh, Kira was there, obviously, too. She says it was so much fun. Uh, what is also fun is to utilize social media in a very positive way to bring um, people with like-minded spirituality and ideas together. And Dr. Susan Harper has a couple of places where you can find her and you can connect with her and share your ideas and share the learning so would you like to tell us a little bit about these um, spaces that you hold or run or, or preside or whichever oh. word you want to <laughs> talk about it? Facilitate, yes. Um, I, I run a couple of spaces on Facebook. I have two Facebook groups. Uh, one is kind of a general announcement list for pagan and spiritual events in the North Texas area, and that's called North Texas Nature Spirit. You can find that um, with a search, and I'll, I'll make sure that uh, you get the link to send out on media. And that's my events, but also all kinds of stuff. So if you're in Texas or southern Oklahoma, it's, it's some good stuff. It's not spammy, I promise. And then to keep up with uh, the stuff that I'm doing, I also facilitate a group on Facebook uh, that's just simply called Women's Circles with Dr. Susan. Totally easy to find. Um, and I promote my own events and classes there as well as other events and classes and workshops that are of interest to that community. And it is a is a women's space, but when I say women's space, I mean all women, cisgender, transgender, or otherwise, as well as the non-binary and genderqueer people who find their home in women's spaces. So, um it is, it is not a trans-exclusive space in any way. Um, it's pretty low traffic. There's not a lot of discussion, so you're not going to be checking 
you know, a million notifications every day, but it is a way to kind of know what's going on. Uh, I put on a women's full moon circle every month in Carrollton, Texas, at Horizon Unitarian Universalist Church. And if you get into the women's circles group or the North Texas Nature Spirit group, you'll get the announcement, um, the Facebook announcement every time I schedule one of those. Um, I have a retreat coming up in January uh, where we're going to be working with wise women goddess archetypes. So you can get all that information there. Uh, my other online home, I have two other places that I work. Um, I have a portal at mysteryschoolofthegoddess.net where I teach a number of online and self-paced courses. I have one for each of the Sabbaths where you get some crafts and some recipes. And I am working on a, a couple of things uh, to launch for the end of the year and then a bunch of things for next year. Um, I'm working on a warrior goddess activation course for those who want to learn more about warrior goddesses and then working up something about kind of goddess spirituality and politics because people have asked me to do that. And if you want to read my blog and my musings, I have just kind of got started at the, if you go to dreamingpriestess.wordpress.com. Uh, you'll find my blog, and that's going to be built out into more of a, a full-service website with a, co- a class portal and a shop and everything in the next six months. I'm going to definitely do some work over winter break, but by spring equinox, I hope that's going to be a really big and functioning place. But I, I blog almost every day, so come by and connect with me there. Um, and then I end up in a bunch of other places. I blog sometimes at Hagen Square and I dip in and out of a lot of different things. <laughs> with with those spaces, you should always be able to keep up with what I'm doing and, and where I am and if I've decided to get my hands in something else. Um, we have a caller, and I am suspecting that this is someone we both know. Hi, caller. Okay. How are you? Uh, yes, my dear. Uh, can you hear me good? Yes, I can hear you. Is What's your name, please? Yeah, yeah, this is uh, Michael, and uh, you know, first of all, you should know that Mitra, M-I-T-H-R-A, you know, Mitra was a Jesus, came from Persia, and both Mitra and Christ were described variously as the way, the truth, the light, the life, the word, the son of God. Okay. Uh, the, the forgive me for shepherd. interrupting you here. Sure, I'm sure. sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you for a little bit because I was wondering if you had anything relevant to goddess or paganism or activism that we're talking about today. And it sounds like you have something different or some different ideas. And I'm going to have to pass on those for right now. Um, unless you have anything to say about goddess or about the uh, work of Dr. Harper. I mean, well, I mean, you should know that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you are aware of that or not. I mean, Mitra. Mitra yeah, we are, we, we're uh, totally aware of that. All right. Thank you so much to our caller who was uh, about to teach us about Jesus, I guess. Um, yeah, I think you are right. Yeah, I, I don't think it's relevant. It is valid. And we honor any and every way of spirituality. 
but the topic of our show tonight is uh, goddess and paganism and activism. And I believe our caller was uh, in a completely, they're probably just started listening. I don't know. Uh, I thought it was Pam (laughs) because it was a a, a 1111111 number. And that's when she calls sometimes. But anywho, that being said, uh, (laughs) I have posted the uh, links to the various groups that Dr. Harper has and contributes and shares her knowledge. And uh, we do advocate, too, for um, interfaith work. And I want that to be very clear. And whenever we have a show on interfaith and people of other faiths would like to come and share their experience uh, with us, we're open to that. We are just not open to uh, preaching about something when it's not the topic of the show. What what is your take on, on, on interfaith? work um susan i think it's really important um you know i do a lot of work with unitarian universalists Um, actually i got a lot of my political education about activist spirituality through spending time with unitarian universalists especially unitarian universalist women um because goddess and feminine divine is a huge thing in a lot of those communities um I, I think it is important. It can be challenging um, down here in the South, especially, but I think that we do need to do it, um, especially around these bigger issues like racism, like uh, Islamophobia and protection of, you know, and, you know, the Muslim populations in our communities of um, immigration reform of all of these things. They're bigger than any one religion. And I think that, uh, Pagans and, you know, uh, feminist spiritualists, goddess spiritualists, those of us that have an activist streak in our spirituality, we need to have a, a place at that table because there are people in our communities that are impacted by these policies and these issues, too. It can be hard to learn how to do, but I, I think it's something that we must learn how to do. And I think there are a lot of people in the pagan community, I, I think about Selena Fox and just how amazing she is at interfaith work. Yeah, there are some good models to look at um, of how we can do that where we still, you know, we don't have to subject ourselves to to preaching and we don't have to, we don't have to try and prove the legitimacy of our religion. We can, you know, just go in with other people of faith and do the work. I, I, exactly. I think that is, uh, that is key, you know, to have communication. And like you mentioned, obviously, Selena Fox and Circle Sanctuary and Lady Liberty League and all the work that they do there is just monumental and fantastic and, and you know. Absolutely. Great. So speaking of, um, we were before we were into the musical break, we were talking about um, archetypes and, and goddess and being monist and all that. Is there a particular number of archetypes that you will recommend or the goddess um, goddesses that you will recommend for people to kind of dip their toe into goddess spirituality? You know, it's, I'm really interested right now in um, Lasara Firefox Allen, who was just on my show a couple of weeks ago, if you want to go listen to the archive, uh, has just published an amazing book uh, titled Jailbreaking the Goddess. It's a radical revisioning of feminist spirituality. And she advocates for a fivefold 
image of the goddess as opposed to like a you know maiden mother crone trinity and i'm really interested in that model um because it she decouples it from sort of the cycle of like menstruation and childbirth and menopause and instead looks at at potential um at, at traits that all humans can embody so i definitely recommend checking out jailbreaking um and i have sort of at various times um, worked with specific goddess archetypes that have called to me at given times, um, and I, I have gotten a lot out of that. Um, you know, one of the ways that many people that I've talked to when I was doing my field work kind of approached uh, paganism and approached goddess spirituality is they got interested in one particular pantheon or one particular deity and really connected with her or them. Um, and I, I don't think there's any really wrong way to do it. Um, you know, I, I think you can come at it from a very direct, you know, I want to work with Diana kind of way, or you can kind of like, well, I just want to be open to whatever goddess has to show me. And you have know, different archetypes, different goddesses may call to you at different periods in your life. Um, and then you kind of figure out how that works for you. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of a Perfect. squishy answer, but. <laughs> no, I just, you know, because it's funny that in a goddess show, we didn't talk about any specific goddesses, but uh, I guess we both are way more passionate about how goddess is on activism and activism is in goddess and they're one yeah. and the same thing, you know. Uh, which is obviously more important than, in my opinion, humbly, than the different names or the different aspects or potentials or qualities or archetypes that we can call that which is goddess, you know. Speaking of goddess and one of her uh, many, many creations and representations on this earth, what about that moon? How do you celebrate the moon? Oh, Oh, the moon is so beautiful. I got up, I go to go to work really early in the morning. And so I have to drive straight into the West for part of it. And it was like, the moon was so low at 630 this morning that it was like driving into, it was like something from a movie set. Never seen anything like it. Um, yeah. My, my moon circle this uh, last Saturday night, we created a space for people to uh, process their feelings about the election. Uh, we spent some time under the moon because she was so beautiful. Uh, and then we we did uh, some pretty hardcore warrior goddess work to help people kind of move through despair and into into hope and into action because um, it's always tied up together. You know, we, we did a little root chakra work and we ate a little chocolate and then we talked about, you know, <laughs> what are we all going to read and <laughs> – what kind of practical steps can we take? So it was all tied up together. It was super powerful. Uh, for myself tonight, I'm going to get out under the moon a little bit before I go to bed and uh, just kind of talk to her for a little while because um, it's just so beautiful. It's so clear here uh, tonight, but it's just such a blessing in such a, a really difficult time. To get yeah. to go out and be under that supermoon for for a little bit. How about you? Totally. What are you What are you doing to celebrate it? Uh, uh as 
as soon as we finish this show, I'm going to do a little ritual. There's a couple of items that I want to be uh, charged for protection and, and yeah. inspiration. And I think this is awesome. the right moon to do it. And uh, just by contemplating the moon, I think it's, is one sort of ritual, so that's what we're doing. Yep. Uh, before we go, uh, because we're we're on three minutes, <laughs> I like to acknowledge and thank a caller that was on a two zero two area code. So, caller on the two zero two area code that you were on hold. I'm so sorry, but we have run out of time. Uh, but please don't despair. Call us back or or join us again on another show, and you can tell us what you were gonna share with us tonight. I'd like to thank our guest, my dearest Dr. Susan Harper. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on our show tonight. I highly appreciate all your input and all the knowledge that you share with us. I also like to thank all the people that were in the chat room. Uh, there was Darian earlier, Hippie Janet here, Lang. I know Salji was here, Salji from Mexico. And I know Michael and uh, Rosemary Nostelic were listening. They were not in the chat room. And to all the people that will listen to us on the recorded um, archive version of this show, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Dr. Susan, the floor is yours to say goodbye to your listeners. All right. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. This was super fun. I love to come on and just, just chat. Um, thank you for everybody who's in the chat room, everybody who's listening. Uh, Please come by and listen to us on All Acts of Love and Pleasure on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central on Pagans Tonight. And feel free to reach out online. We are all in this together. And uh, blessings from the goddess. And again, to quote my activist friend, I'll see you in the street until every one of us is free. Exactly. Thank you much. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. And with that on mind, we say goodbye for tonight. And like always, please never forget, you are love. Good night. You're listening to Pagan Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagan Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagan's Tonight.